0: Welcome to the family with
1: Packmaster
2: Raftoi Basham, MD, co-host Catherine Brandt
0: and Andy Brand Bernard. The movie's called The Last Full Measure. Now streaming, available on DVD and Blu-ray, April twenty-first, which was today. Today, today which is, is today. That was today, but is today. That's a heroic military true story starring Sebastian Stan, Christopher Plummer's in it, William Hurt, J- Samuel L. Jackson, Ed Harris, tons of oh, the late Peter Fonda. Basically. Yeah, Todd Robinson, our special guest up next with the family. Andy, doo, doo. Andy's rocking out today. I Did you hear that? Mm-hmm. No doubt about it, ladies and gentlemen. The last full measure now streaming. Uh, as a matter of fact, available on DVD and Blu-ray today. A heroic military true story starring Sebastian Stan, Christopher Plummer, William Hurt, Samuel L. Jackson, Ed Harris, the late Peter Fonda. Couldn't you get any big names in it, Todd? What's the
3: problem? <laughs> well, you know, aim low. Hope for high.
0: Okay, there you go. <laughs> Aim low and hope for high. You know, I, I had forgotten until I read that that Peter Fonda died. He was way too young to be dying. Yeah,
3: it was uh, really sad. Uh, fortunately, he got to see the film before he passed. Um, but it was a shock to everyone. No no one knew he was ill. So uh, it was really quite a blow. No
0: 79. Doubt. He's only 79? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Indeed, well, that is really, really uh, the, the one sad thing. The uh, other part of it, of course, a powerful story inspired by the courageous acts of Vietnam War hero William H. Pitzenbarger. The Last fall Measure tells the true story of Vietnam War hero William H. Pittsenberger, uh, Barger, excuse me, uh, U.S. Air Force. Oh my God, pararescue men, medic saved over sixty people. Is that right, Todd? Man. Yeah, that's correct. The
3: pararescue community are, are really amazing people. Um, they're technically military operators, and um, wherever there's a hot spot, you will always find uh, their community involved in, uh, you know, extracting the wounded.
0: What a story this is. Now, you're looking back... The Vietnam War ended, what, in 74? God, it was 74. See, I thought it was like 72, but looking back, I would have been, <clears throat> excuse me, I would have been the very last uh, draft class of the Vietnam War. But by the time it rolled around, uh, and I was number 27 in the lottery. So, I think I probably, if they hadn't, the war hadn't uh, kind of started wrapping up, they, I probably would have ended up in Vietnam. My oldest brother, Terry, he's nine years older than me, he served uh, two tours in Vietnam and doesn't have a lot of fond memories, no. I will tell you that. He didn't like it. Didn't care much. Wait, for you know, it's interesting that you bring
3: that up. I'm, I guess, just a little bit younger than you. Um, I missed it by a couple of years, I, but I recall, and part of the reason that I ended up making the movie was that I had, I had heard the story um, sort of anecdotally um, by um, a, a bunch of the Air Force guys. I, I was actually doing some research on another picture, and these Air Force folks always wanted me to know the story of Pitsenbarger, so I mm. had the opportunity to hear it quite a few times. But then I had the opportunity to meet Mr. Pitsenbarger as he addressed um, uh, a group of uh, a graduating class of of PJs uh, out at um, out in Albuquerque. And as I heard him speak about the loss of his own son, I flashed back to a memory that I never would have had about uh, sitting at my own dinner table and watching the the news, the nightly news. And at the end, they always flashed that scoreboard of the killed and wounded. Oh, yeah. And Right? And to look at that, you know, you would think it was that whole McNamara nonsense. You would think we were winning the war. And it never occurred to me that we weren't as a kid. And my dad looked up and made a comment about how if the war lasted any longer, we're going to move to Canada. And I had no idea what he was talking about. And he had voted for Nixon, you mm-hmm. know. And uh, in, in that moment, as I heard Mr. Pitzenbarger speak, I flashed to my son, who was only about 10 years old at the time, oh. and thought all of a sudden it, it gelled for me and came together. And I, I understood my dad better in that moment. As a parent myself, the thought of losing a child is just so unimaginable that I, I realized that this wasn't really a war story. It was a, a story about the home front and, and families and what that loss really means and what that sacrifice really means. So that's really sort of how it, it came together.
0: Got very quickly, Todd, and I want to get out of your way, but I, I probably should pass this along. Uh, being the age that I am, uh, four of my friends were killed in Vietnam, and we went to visit the Vietnam War Memorial in Washington, D.C. It was not hard to find their names on the wall. That was something to see, but I do remember the very first one. I'll just give his name as Joe. I won't give his last name. But he was in the United States Marine Corps, he was on uh, the front lines, and we went to his funeral, and I don't know why they did this, I have no idea, Todd, but you look in the casket, and Joe was in the casket, wearing his cover, but there was a bloody bandage around his head, in the coffin. Why would like, they do huh, that? I don't know. It's like, oh my yeah, cause god! Yeah, because corpses
4: don't bleed, so there's no, no reason for the bandage to be bloody.
0: I, I somebody must have wanted people to know that he he was yeah. shot in the head. Might I might have guessed. been a statement. And, yeah,
1: oh, oh, might have oh, been a statement.
0: Real. I'm sorry that you lost that many people. Oh, it was, it was, hitty. well, you know, I will tell you one thing, Todd, I came from a very poor neighborhood, and a lot of very poor kids lost their lives in Vietnam, There's no doubt about that. Mm-hmm. Well, when
3: I was in the fourth grade, my, my fourth grade teacher brought her son in to speak to us, who had just returned to Vietnam, from Vietnam, and he was probably, I don't know, nineteen, twenty. Mm-hmm. He, you know, he had done, he'd been drafted and went and came back, and uh, I remember the first thing that one of the kids asked him was, how many people did you kill?
5: Yeah.
2: Uh, you know, oh, an
3: innocent yeah. question, right? Mm-hmm. And he got that 10,000-yard that stare, and <laughs> yeah. within a year, he took his own life. Oh, oh,
2: God oh. God.
3: And we know that this is a, 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 a raging epidemic within our own military community now. And um, one of the things that I do on the side is I work for a charity called Save a Warrior, where we deal with... Um, uh, veterans with suicidal ideation. And it's a, it's a real issue. You know, the, yes. the, a lot of people whose names are not on that Vietnam War Memorial died of, of uh, emotional wounds that mm-hmm. they brought back with them. So it's, uh, this movie is really a tribute to those people. Um, and just imagine a young person today, you know, being torn out of their life to go fight a war that they didn't believe in or perhaps their parents didn't believe in. Mm-hmm. Um, today, of course, we have a volunteer service, uh, and yet um, the casualties uh, are still great. Uh, but then uh, it was a, it was a whole different thing. I mean you, you didn 't have a choice and um, and so those people really did give up themselves and were uh, not, not really treated with the respect they deserved when they came home oh i don 't think
0: there's any question. I do remember my brother getting back in he had He landed in San Francisco and then flew to Minneapolis St Paul from there. And I remember him talking about being spit upon as he walked through the airport. Uh, he and pretty much every other Marine and soldier and Navyman and Air Force uh, person, they, yeah, they they would spit on them and jeer at them and call them fools and idiots while they were walking through the uh, the air, air uh, terminal.
3: Well, sadly, you know, a lot of that was motivated by fear and a lot of other things. Sure, and Unfortunately, sure. that generation of people who were their generation were conflating uh, the policy and the mission with the people who had to go, uh, who went and served willingly because they were asked to, but they weren't necessarily supporting that policy. They were just exacting it. And, um, and I think a lot of people today um, would like to take moments like that back if they, if yeah. they were the ones yeah. who had done it, because, um, you know, it, it, was, it, it was not fair.
0: Todd, what, what do you think it is about people like William H. Pitsenbarger? Why, when he's offered its chance to get the hell out of there in the last helicopter, he said, No, I, I can't go. What makes a man like that?
3: Well, that's a great question. Um, obviously, it's rooted in his family. But I, I think, you know, it's, as a storyteller, um, we look at this, this, uh, this thing that we, we call, or uh, Joseph Campbell uh, called, the, the hero's journey. And it's, it's an analysis of mythology that examines and re-examines the hero moment. And I think there are these moments where some people uh, in, a, in conditions of, of high stress recognize on some deep level, perhaps an unconscious level, that we are all connected by something uh, very deep. And to leave that moment would be to abandon yourself. And so... Uh, in this moment, he recognized that the only way to his own personal salvation was service greater than self, and that there was just no way that by, by abandoning these people, he would have been abandoning uh, the, the, higher angel, the higher angels of himself. And we see this over and over again, and it is why that we, we tend to celebrate these kind of stories in popular culture, because we're trying to remind ourselves how we should behave Uh, when, uh, you know, put in dire circumstances. And you need look no further than COVID-19 and the hoarding of toilet paper and food and to see the way a lot of people do react when they're faced with panic. And um, we we really need to be reacting the other way, and this story really speaks
0: to that. I don't think there's any questions. How did you first find out, we're talking to Todd Robinson about the movie (laughs) The Last Full Measure, uh, now streaming, available on DVD and Blu-ray, April twenty. And by the way, by coincidence, I also do a morning show in town here. We were just talking about the fact, speaking of DVDs, that there's one blockbuster left in America. It's in Utah. Actually, oh, not Utah, it's in Oregon. And it's in Bend, Oregon. And she's doing curbside delivery of, oh, of films from blockbusters. That's nice. That's very cool, I thought. Well, let's
3: give her a call and get her to deliver this one.
0: Yeah, yeah. we will absolutely. So the last full measure. So, so I, I just the, the story is so fantastic. How did you first connect with with William?
3: Well, it, it was as I said, you know, I, I was right. working on this other project, and uh, but the, the, the deeper answer to the question, you know, this took me twenty years to get completed. Okay. Of course, I I was having a career while it was happening, but it was a problematic film for a lot of reasons to get done, and but I met the men who were determined to get this this young man the medal of honor and they were all the veterans of that battle and to see their um, their sort of emotional wounds and how they were finding a sense of purpose in honoring this this young man before his father passed away because frank pitzenbarger by the time i came along um, was suffering with uh, late stage cancer oh. and so and this was in 1999 and so these men were determined to get this uh, to happen before he passed, and they did. And spoiler alert, but it doesn't, it won't ruin the movie for you to know that Pittsburgher did receive the Medal of Honor posthumously. And uh, meeting those men and becoming um, personally, uh, developing personal relationships with them, it, it made it impossible for my myself and my partners to abandon the project. We we just couldn't do it. And. Now we've lost some of them as well, uh, just to natural causes and old age. And so we were so grateful that not only did they get to see the movie, but they are all in the movie uh, in the big Medal of Honor ceremony. So uh, it was really quite emotional to not only see it, but to shoot it as well.
0: Looking at the date, he must not have been very old when he died. What is his, his late 50s, early 60s, something like that?
3: Uh, Mr. Pitsenbarger was, I think he was in his 80s. He, he was oh, actually. Really? Yeah, he was a veteran of World War II. Oh, this okay, took, okay. This story took place in 1966. Right, exactly. So uh, William Pitsenbarger was 21 years old uh, and the veteran of over 300 rescue missions at that point. Um, so you, you, the, the timing sort of works it out. You know, we, we are playing, the, the movie actually takes
0: place in 1999. God, it's uh, what a great idea! Are, did you did you get any pushback from people saying, "God, we just want to forget about Vietnam"? Did you get any of that at all?
3: You know, the the pushback, I didn't get that per se. Although, you know, some of the creative executives in town uh, at different points said, and nah, nobody wants to see a Vietnam." Movie. Right? They, they right. thought Oliver Stone had had the final word, but this, of course, um, isn't critical of the war per se, although I do think it's an anti-war statement, because war is the last, best, you know, conflict resolution as far mm-hmm. as I'm concerned. Um, but uh, I forget the question. <laughs> well, no, I mean, just... Uh, <laughs> I forget. <laughs> no, I, there I go again. No,
0: I, I just, I, you know, I, I because when when you bring up Vietnam, and again, I would have been the, the last uh, group to go, when you bring up Vietnam, people just don't want to talk about it. It's still to this day. Certainly people my age don't, which is well, weird. Well,
3: you know, that I, I, yeah, I think that's true to a point. I mean, war is painful, loss is painful. But I think um, when you look back, and it's part of the reason I was able to secure such a, an amazing cast, because all of the men in the movie certainly were of that age. Mm-hmm. And they all, I mean, nobody was left untouched. Everyone knew People who either lost their lives or went and returned changed. And I think, you know, time heals and time, with the benefit of reflection, all of these actors wanted to be able to pay tribute to people that they knew personally. And so, um, you know, I we didn't really run into that per se. Some of the critics were a little bit, you know, grouchy about some things. Um, <laughs> grouchy? Uh, you know, I think that, that something funny happened with, with people who maybe think a little bit more liberally um, where they watched this movie and they, they felt emotion, but they weren't quite sure if they agreed with the premise or felt, you know, they wanted to blame it on being emotionally manipulated as opposed to just realizing that, you know what, there's a high price to pay. And and a lot of wars are, are, are poorly planned. You know, we're mm-hmm. a very... We tend to react to things rather than plan things. You know, war tends to be a reactive response, and uh, so you're you're thinking on your feet. And there's a lot of bad policy that happens and a lot of mistakes. You know, they they always say you you know you 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 plan the fight, try to fight the plan, and then everything changes, and then you find uh-huh. out you know what you're really made of. And um, so I you know I I, I think that that war will always be controversial, um, but the people uh, who fought it. Um, you know, should be, I think, viewed through a slightly different prism with mm-hmm.
0: the benefit of time. No doubt about Well, I'll tell you what, Todd. You're talking to your audience right here because I cannot wait to see your movie. Because uh, it personal experience, my brother got back from Vietnam when I was 15 years old, and it had quite an impact on me how much he had changed. So I will be watching The Last Full Measure uh, streaming now, ladies and gentlemen, of course, available on DVD and Blu-ray today, as a matter of fact. So your 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 speech the, you're speaking to the choir here Todd I'll be watching it probably tonight so I, I appreciate your time today uh it was a big it's been a big part of my life even though I never actually did serve in vietnam vietnam has been a big part of my life my whole life to tell you the truth
3: well is your brother still living he is
0: yes yep
3: i i recommend that you try to watch the film with him at some point because my real hope for the film is that it reignites uh, a conversation uh, for healing and for compassion. And uh, I've screened the movie for over 60 military audiences, and it is astonishing what happens when they see the film. I can see uh, that. and And, it, you know, a lot of people, they don't want to talk about this. there' a lot of shame-based, um, you know, and fear uh, involved in it, but the movie really opens the conversation, and it's it's very uplifting at the end. So... I think it would be something that he would appreciate saying.
0: I think that's it. Do you have one more minute? Because I'd like to close with my first experience with my brother when he got back from Vietnam. Do you have one more minute? Sure, of course. Okay, so Terry gets back from Vietnam. He's 24 years old now. He went in when he was 18, or 19, excuse me. Uh, he gets back home. He's 24. I'm, I'm 15 years old, and he and I are walking down Hennepin Avenue, which is right the main street in downtown Minneapolis. Uh, so we're walking along. This is, as a matter of fact, by coincidence, this would have been in 1966, 67. So pretty much the same area you're talking, right? Um, so he gets back. We're walking down a street and, uh, there's a young man coming the opposite direction and he's wearing a military coat, but it doesn't say like U.S. Army or Marine Corps, think, but it was a military coat, right? A, a fatigue jacket, I guess, is what you would call it. I don't know. But, the flag on his, on his sleeve was upside down, the American flag was. And as the guy went by, he kind of scowled at my brother a little bit. I don't know why, but he did. And my brother said, could you do me a favor? And he goes, yeah, what? He goes, would you just take your jacket off when you walk past us? And I, look, I, I don't want to cause any trouble, but I just can't watch it. I just can't. Because he literally, by the way, got on an airplane, and 24 hours later he was in Minneapolis. He went from Vietnam to Minneapolis in 24 hours. Mm-hmm. Which is quite the transition, <laughs> but uh, I remember the guy. The guy said, "No, I'm not going to do that." He goes, Ser- "Seriously, I just, I just, I just got home and I can't really see it. Could you just please take it off once you walk by? Put it back on. Everything good?" And the kid wouldn't do it. It didn't work out too well for him. I will tell you that, Todd. And I was <laughs> shocked to see what happened. Holy God! It was not. Pre- I mean, he didn't kill the guy or anything. Thank God, but uh, he did take his jacket off. I will tell you that, Todd
3: yeah you know the the film is replete with stories like that oh, because yeah because it, because it focuses on the veterans you know looking back on pitts and barger's valor um but you know that happened to so many people and continues to happen to our veterans that that return for the current from the current conflicts because people just misunderstand what that experience is like and
0: um I'm sorry that that happened Me to too. him. I'm sorry it happened to me because I was there watching it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, it's just the way it is. Mr. Robinson, thank you so much for your time today. It's Terrific talking to you. Last full measure. I'll be watching it tonight. Thank you, sir. Fantastic. Thank you, guys. Have a good All day. All the best. Bye. Bye-bye. Todd Robinson, the last full measure. Yeah, that, uh, I was amazed, as a matter of fact, how much. When my mm-hmm. brother left for the Marine Corps, uh, he was an 18-year-old. Uh, I think he joined at 18, nine, maybe 19. Well, I think he was 18, though. He was this goofy Wally Cleaver kind of guy, you know. Hey, uh, hey, mom, hey, yeah. how you doing? He hmm. was that kind of guy. So, you know, five years later, he comes home and he is totally changed. And he never, he never was Wally Cleaver again. I will tell you that. He just is just the way it was. He, it cost him in a big way. It was very, very tough. But then you know Catherine and Andy and Alex were with me when we saw the Vietnam Memorial in Washington D.C. Oh, uh, that was tough. Oh, that was hard to look on. You see all these I names know. of yeah, it buddies. It was really tough. Your pals, you know, they've been taken taken out by the whole. I couldn't situation. even look at it. I didn't blame you. I really, yeah. I couldn't. I just I, I, just, I, just, I just,
2: I just like took one glance. I'm like,
0: <laughs> that's
2: <laughs> it
1: like for me. God. I have to go. My, my cousin came back from the Vietnam War, and uh, and he was he's probably five six years older than I, and he and he says. Yeah, Ralph. You know Vietnam. I'd stay away from there if I were you. <laughs> yeah,
0: I'd stay. I'd stay away from there if you get a chance. Both
2: my brothers were yeah. at that age group, and neither one of them went.
0: That's good. Yeah. Well,
2: Daryl broke lucky. his leg, and they had a big yeah, pin right, in there, and right. for some reason that disqualified him.
0: But and Jeff was in the Air Force, but he never went to Vietnam. Yeah, he.
2: Yeah, they wanted him. He went into medical stuff at the hospital here hmm. in the states. So.
0: I like it. Thank you again to Todd Robinson. The last full measure, I'll be watching it tonight, as I said, we'll be right back with the family. Tom Bernard with my buddy and CEO of North American Banking Company, Michael Bilski. Tell me, Michael, we've been talking about North American Banking Company for a few years now. One thing we've discussed is that the bank is locally owned and operated. Well, How does that benefit your customer? Tommy, projects and opportunities
3: for expansion come up quickly for business owners. A locally owned and managed bank like North American Banking Company means decisions can be made just as quickly. We know Minnesota. We live in the communities we serve. So we have experience and firsthand knowledge for what's happening in your life where you live. That means decisions are made here. We don't ship them off or pass the buck someplace out of state. Finally, getting our customers quick answers allows them to take decisive action and that's how business gets done.
0: Man, Michael, you're getting good at this. Practice makes perfect. Uh, Perfect? (laughs) Why not bank with my banker, North American Banking Company, a better banking experience, member FDIC, and equal housing lender. 2020 never looks so good. Tom Bernard here for Whiting Clinic LASIK and Cataract. With 2020 upon us, it's time to ditch the contacts and pitch the glasses. Take it from me. It's one of the best things you can do for yourself in the new year. in 2020 and let 2020 be your best year yet with lasik at whiting clinic
5: lasik results may vary talk to your whiting clinic doctor about your individual outcome potential
0: we're back in the set what do you got somebody marching i think i'm just gonna skip ahead sounds
2: like the record's skipping. there we
0: go what is with this morose music today it's the shortchange hero a short change hero for you. Blah 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 blah. Mm-hmm. It'll all work out in the end, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you again to Todd. We went, uh, you know, it's about seven minutes long in that one, but it was well worth it. So this segment will be about seven minutes, and we have another guest coming up. Is it Pomporos? Is that how you say that? I name? think so. Pomporos. Uh, Kostaki
2: on the phone. He'll tell us. Yeah, Kostaki, where the <laughs> hell are
0: you when we need you? Um, you know, actually, it wouldn't be a bad idea for some minutes just talk about. Uh, you know, your. Do you think your brothers are probably going to end up going to Vietnam? They they didn't end up going. Uh, my brother went to, goes into Marine Corps, and uh, seriously, it was like Wally Cleaver. He comes back home. He's nothing like he used to be. Uh, he, he gets back, and I was just telling him off the air. Literally in 24 hours. And they don't do that anymore, from what I understand. They would not ever allow somebody to come from a combat zone directly to their house again in, in 24 hours. Apparently, they don't do that yeah, anymore. Yeah, they do some sort but of the, debriefing, they yes. call it, yeah,
1: whatever that means. Yeah, they're trying to uh, truncate some of this uh, suicide stuff, but, but that ain't working.
0: No, it's not, so, is it? With 22 a day, somebody said? Is that what it is?
1: I don't know. Too many. Really? I,
0: I hope know. it's that. Andy, do you know that number? Would you look up the number? How many? i believe How many veterans kill themselves, commit suicide every day? It's a lot of people every day. I know that, but
1: be- because that that didn't happen in World War II. No. And and some of the people, some of the reasons for that is that in World War II everybody came back together as yeah. heroes. Yeah, that's right. That's true. Whereas now oh, these, these prolonged, you know, playing around wars, where they. Where they're there forever, they come back, you know, willy nilly, or they come back in sort of strings and small amounts, and you know they just are lost in the in the in the country because some Uh, people resent them
0: as well.
4: An average of twenty a day. Well, from nineteen seventy nine to twenty fourteen, so I don't know what it
0: is like. I think it went up to twenty two a day now.
4: Well, let's see, two thousand nineteen. This report might have the number
0: in it. It might. It's Let's true. find yeah, Remember in we in the go. movie AJ. Midway.
2: No, it was which one was it? Where the guy sees his friend get killed and this, no, it was 1917. He says best not to dwell on it. Best <laughs> not to dwell on it. Yes. Yeah. Best not to dwell, not on, not it. To dwell on it. <laughs> Cuz he could see the kid trying to keep it together and Surgeon says us not to dwell on it. Yeah. Well, we're like, at 17 oh, a
0: day uh, right now. Oh, so we're at seven. Thank God. So it has gone down. Well, it's because some of them probably died of natural causes by now. Well, I mean, Vietnam was also 50 years ago, so. Yeah, that's what but, I'm saying. But <coughs> there, it was,
1: it's the new veterans as well.
0: It is, from Afghanistan yes. and Iraq yeah, oh, and things absolutely. like that. Those
1: are those yep. are continued ongoing well, just issues. We
2: get out of there, don't we? Just get well, out of there.
1: Yeah, oh, I'd I like to see that, and I think that those governments, you know, let those cultures have their way and. You know, we're trying to impose something on them that's not natural to them.
0: I guess. But nothing they do is natural piss on them. <laughs> Thank you very much. Great to be here. No, I don't know. It, it, it's uh, just even talking to, to Todd about this brings back the memories and the feelings of all that stuff and how different it was. And, uh, you know, and the saddest thing, the first one, the Marine, Joe. When they folded up the flag and went to hand it to his dad, oh, my God, I can still see it. It's like, oh, he came apart and fell over, and it was like, oh, Jesus it was tough. That was a tough deal. His baby boy was dead, you know, for no damn reason Was what he looked at it. Yeah. It was just too bad. It was an interesting period, and we were all terrified. It's like, well, wait a minute. Those guys came back dead, and now we got to go? Like, ooh, That was a little terrifying back in those days. Yeah. But yep. There was
1: a reason to study.
2: Yes. Well, I No, no, no. My family got really lucky. My mother had lots of um, brothers, and I think most of them were in the service, and they came back. Um, my brothers didn't have to go. I le- very lucky we didn't have any losses. I had a couple of cousins lost, mm-hmm. but. It's, oh, it's weird with all the mails that we had right. and that went right. that they came back, including my father.
0: We can take a break here and come back. have another great guest coming up. As a matter of fact, a former Secret Service agent and star of Bravo's Spy Games, Evie Pamporos. How about that? A little Secret Service action. Yeah. People yeah. getting their ass whooped. Now we're talking. We'll <laughs> no mess right with back. Her. We'll be right back with Evie. Right. <laughs>
5: You got me running, baby. Little Billy Squire to kick things off. Andy, is that the route we're taking?
0: Uh huh. Okay, just so let me know when Evie's ready to go. Um, hi, this is Andy. Apparently, Evie's ready to go. This ought to be a very interesting interview. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, I'll patch you through, and then we'll get right to you. Indeed. Mm-hmm. We're talking to a secret service agent, a former crashed. secret service agent. We're good to go. Yep. Evie Pamporos, how you doing, Evie? I'm doing well. How are
4: you doing?
0: Marvelously well, thank you. Becoming Bulletproof, Protect Yourself, real, uh, Read People, Influence Situations, and Live Fearlessly, former secret service agent in star of Bravo's Spy Games. Evie Pamporos shares lessons learned from protecting presidents, as well as insights and skills from the oldest and most elite security force in the world. I love talking to former social, uh, secret service agents. I like talking to any secret service agent. Don't you think, Evie?
4: Do you talk to them
0: often? <laughs> oh, no, you know, I've been, yeah, I, I've been on the, I also do a morning show I've been on for 35 years. So, yeah, a f- several times, a matter of fact. You are interesting awesome. people. Secret service agents are very interesting people to me. Don't you think? I think so. I mean, I, I
4: learned from them. So I really feel like they, they shaped me into who? who I've eventually become, so sure, yeah, I'm with you on that one.
0: I mean, how, how did the interest come come about, your interest in becoming a Secret Service agent? You
4: know, I think it was just a, I an evolution. I, You know, I didn't grow up thinking, oh, when I grew up, this is what I want to do. I didn't even know what a Secret Service agent did. <laughs> I knew the president had people around him, and that's really the extent of where that, that went. But growing up and studying, I... In college, I worked for a congresswoman, and that exposed me to government and public service. And I also grew up in uh, New York City during the 80s and 90s, which were pretty, pretty rough at the time. And we had, you know, my family and I, we were really like, victims of crimes and a lot of things that happened to us. So I think I eventually grew up in a way where I'm, like, I am tired of it, you know, of being a victim or at the mercy of other people. And so naturally, I wanted to protect myself, my family, and eventually I joined the New York City Police
0: Department. And that's kind of like where it all began. No, I could definitely see it. I'm glad you just said that because um, I, let me just read this part and then I want to ask you a question. Becoming bulletproof uh, means transforming yourself into a stronger, more confident, more powerful person. Right now, Evie, I get the impression that, that people, not just young people, but a lot of people are enjoying playing the victim in America now. They, they love to go on social media and talk about how this guy was mean to him or that person was mean. I was a victim. They just love being a victim. Evie, the last thing I would do is ever allow anybody to think that they victimized me. Even if they did, I would never admit that I was a victim. Why do people enjoy that now? Do you understand that? Yeah, you know,
4: I do understand it's interesting because when you use that word, psychologically, it puts you at a disadvantage. Yeah. It, 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 puts a, it gives you, it just your psychology of it. So sure, yeah, like I was a victim of crime, but I mean, so I don't want to be mean. So what? I was. But so where do you go from there? And you can have, there's two mindsets. You can either be a victim of something or you can be someone who overcomes whatever that thing is. So I've never thought of myself as a victim of anything in life, even though if you'd relate it out you five had my end of bad circumstances happen as so many other people do i think it's a choice It's a choice that you make and even today with what is happening you know we're gonna like we're going through like this historic event obviously this pandemic
5: mm-hmm.
4: but in the end you have a choice who you want to be when it's over when you look back do you want to be a person who was victimized the recipient of things happening to you do you want to be at the mercy of everyone and everyone else, or do you want to be that person to be like, well, there are some things I can't control. You know what? I can control all these other things. That gives you power. And then you become become the master of your own life. You are the mercy of no one. And sometimes when we use that, I think it's also a social mindset. Like I think we were in an era where we we take on that title in, in possibly the wrong way. And it can take can hurt us. So we want to acknowledge when things bad things happen, and we want to have justice to rectify those things. But you want to be careful not to fall into that victim mindset because you have no power power in your life. Now you are just a recipient of things that happen to you. You can get stuck in that.
0: I love it. Talking to Evie Pomporos, The uh, book is called Becoming Bulletproof: Protect Yourself, Read People, Influence Situation, and Live Fearlessly. Uh, and by the way, this is a person, this is a woman who might know it. Uh, I'm pretty sure she knows it because she's a former Secret Service agent to three presidents and one of only five women to receive the Medal of Valor. Little, little proud of that, I would imagine, Evie. You know, um,
4: look, it, I, I was humbled to receive it. I did receive it as a result of my actions on 9-11, and it, it was... I wasn't insensible to having received it but I you know, I didn't hang it up in my home. I actually my, my father took it and he hung it up in his face and oh. I actually put it under my bed when I was <laughs> teaching. I think Yeah Yeah,
5: yeah. I know.
4: It so felt for me it was a little hard because having experienced nine eleven and seeing such a loss of life mm-hmm. it kind of felt like you I you appreciate being honored and acknowledged and at the same time that the part of you that's like, I'm getting an award when other people lost their lives. And so I ended up putting it away in my bed. My father found it one day. I went over to the house. I was like, hey, is that my Valor Award? He's like, oh, yeah, it looks great, doesn't it? <laughs> it's still there today, actually. It's in its basement.
0: <laughs> but you know what's great about that, what you just talked about, you know, witnessing, seeing all the things that you saw, uh, you... Did that make you really push yourself? I mean, you've already been through all of this, receiving the Medal of Valor, uh, being a Secret Service agent all the rest of it, but becoming bulletproof, did that have such an effect on you, seeing what you saw in 9-11 uh, and what you saw throughout your life? You couldn't accept being a victim. You wanted to be stronger, more confident, more powerful, obviously, and I'm assuming you achieved the person you want to be, right, Evie? You yeah.
4: I think we're constantly evolving. Like, even now, I'm always like, how can I be the best version of me? And, you know, there's a saying that I have. It's like, the day you feel like you're it, the day you feel like you know everything, you need to be careful because that is the day you will become obsolete. But to this day, I'm still learning. To this day, I'm still evolving. learning from other people, acting other people. Now I work in television, so it's a whole other universe, career yeah. that I have to master. When I left the service, I went into journalism and, you know, I already had an advanced degree and master's degree in forensic psychology, but I was like, well, I better learn. This, this is the new skill. And I took myself back to school and I got a master's in journalism because I needed to learn. And what what I really learned being an agent, humility, which is super important because there's a difference like between confidence and humility, excuse me, arrogance. So when you're arrogant, you think you know everything. When you're confident, you, you feel grounded as a human being. that so you understand that you don't know everything. And when you have humility, you can learn. When you have no humility, you are rigid, you know everything, and you are, you are dumb. And then you also learn to adapt and evolve. Like, we're not, I'm not the same person I was when I went into the service, and I continually grow and change, and I'm aware of that. And I learned to adapt and change and cannot get stuck into this one rigid rhythm. Because rigi- rigidity and rigid people are also dangerous. Rigid people can't adapt. They can't evolve. They can't mm-hmm. move. They get stuck.
2: I feel like that's what we're seeing politically right now, is yeah. nobody can adapt or change, and they're so stuck that nothing's happening.
4: Good. It's, I think a lot of it is ego. And I mean it's from all... In all, on all areas, on all sides, it's like, I. rather than working for the collective mission, I think sometimes people's egos get caught in the way. And I don't mean this for a specific person. I mean this for all politicians. And it does come to a point where I go, I go online, you know, I'll get my news, I get briefed on what's happening, then I shut it down. Yes. I was just like, I want to know what I need to know because the rest of it becomes noise and chatter. And you know what that does? It perpetuates more uncertainty because leaders lead and we all look to them and so when we see the back and forth the negativity the bitterness especially now like this is the time where we all have to be united we are all working to a collective thing a collective goal to preserve human life that's it so that's what we're working on and it's it's significant you want people to work together and so, right you, you say something that's absolutely true and i think a lot of people feel that i
0: mean we couldn't have picked a better time to have you on the show because right now with COVID nineteen going on and the battles that you're witnessing watching the news between the Republicans and the Democrats and the this and the that and the, I think people are very afraid. So if we just lift the two words from the book, live fearlessly, is there is there what what's the starting point? Is there one place you could start to begin to live fearlessly? Yeah,
4: I think the number one thing is you need to know that there's no such thing as being fearless. If I put live fearlessly, there's no such thing as being fearless. Having fear is good. It is wonderful. Mm-hmm. It keeps you safe. It's what helps you. It's what keeps you. You know, makes you put your mask on before you leave the house. right? It makes you wash your hands, sanitize your hands, mm-hmm. take care of your loved ones. Fear is beautiful in that regard. Where fear is bad is when we let it overtake us, when we become frozen, when we can't move, we can't function because we are so bombarded by the negativity by the bad and so and also accepting your vulnerability like I'm not I'm going to take all the precautions I can and I give me power and strength but at the same time I know it's possible I could get this or someone I love can get this and all people that you know people that I know that have this illness that have been hospitalized and this is is it horrible and scary yes but we have to endure it and figure out the ways that we can find meaning and finding meaning is really important when and there's fine science, behind this, when there's a tragic event, you want to find meaning because you need to find meaning so that you can wake up every morning and get out of bed. So for example, a guy teamed up, I'm no longer a first responder. So it's definitely really hard for me because I'm so the person who wants to go out there and do something. But I also want to be wise about what I've doing. So you know, looking at our law enforcement first responders here in New York City and they're they're getting crossed. Twenty percent of them the NYPD is out sick. They've actually lost a lot of service members. I started in the NYPD, and I know it can be a very thankless job. And so my mindset was like, what can I do to help? And so reaching out, I reached out to Dunkin' Donuts. And, I mean, who doesn't love that? Right? <laughs> I was
5: like, what
4: can you guys do? Can we partner up? And then they were like, what are you thinking? I was like, I want to take donuts and coffee to every command in oh, New York City. God. And I partnered up with the New York City PBA. And we've been going command to command. to this day, we're almost at 7,000 donuts. 250 gallons of coffee. You might be like, all right, so it's coffee. It's not. You're going in there and you're saying thank you. We acknowledge you. People care. And it's, it's going back to that being unity. Everybody doing something. Chevy gave me a car because I my car didn't fit all the time. Came and donut. we make kombucha. That's a probiotic to the body. They donate it. So we're all working collectively. And then you have leaders of these organizations, and kudos to them for acknowledging this, reaching out, saying, hey, my hospital, your know, morale is really down. Can you guys stop by? We've been to hospitals. We even went to, God, ah, we went to one of the uh, National Guard morgues. You know, and they're like, can you come by? Can you stop by? The troops can you know, think. It you can know, make them feel better. And so it is finding meaning in tragedy. And you can do that in your own way by checking in on neighbors, shopping for an elderly person. All it is is like, who do you want to be when this is all over? Because it will be over.
0: No, there's no question about it. Abby, great having you on today. Now, I, I, one last question. You don't have to answer this if you don't want to, but it'd be kind of cool. You worked for three different presidents. Who well, Did you have a favorite among the three, or did you like them all equally?
4: I love them all equally. <laughs> good <Gotta> answer. <it. laughs> I appreciate really the effort, though. Good, totally hey, really good really answer, Abby. Don't burn a bridge. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not, I'm not. I know, mean, I It's funny, too, because um, chapter 20, 23 in the book. I wrote a story about each person I protected, and I actually reached out to them, you know, especially those where I shared something that happened maybe in a private setting. Like for the Obama's, I was like, hey, I want to share this. you okay with this, and I wanted to make sure. But I shared a story about what I learned from each person. But There's elements to all people that are positive, and rather than get into, like, any type of back-and-forth negativity, I was like, what can I draw out from each person that I learned from, because I learned from each one of them. And you know what? They are extraordinary. It takes an extraordinary human being to do that, to be in that position. It
0: is not an easy position to be in. I can see that to be true. Becoming bulletproof, protect yourself, read people, influence situations, and live fearlessly. Evie Pamporos, P O U M, P O U R A S. Evie, thank you so much for your service and for your time today.
4: Thank you, guys. Thank you for having me. Stay
0: well and stay safe. You as well. Thank you. That's going to do it. Talk to you tomorrow. With the family.